again, we want to welcome you this morning, and we are so glad that you have uh, decided to join us. We are uh, in a long series this summer that's eight weeks, and we are now seven weeks in, and it's a series that we're calling Foundation. And uh, the series is walking us through uh, foundational Christian beliefs, and uh, we talked uh, about God the Father, we talked about Jesus, we talked about the Holy Spirit, we've talked about salvation, and uh, we've talked about a lot of things, and last week... Uh, we talked about the Bible, and this week we're going to talk about the church. Who are we as the gathering of the people of God? Uh, just a quick review last week, uh, when we talked about the Bible, um, I hope that you got one thing clear, and the, the predominant or the central message that I was trying to share is this, that this book is essentially a story. Uh, it's a story of how God is intervening into human history. And this story invites us in to be a part of it. And, uh, and I said that inside of this big narrative, uh, the story that God is telling through the, the word of God is all kinds of little stories. Uh, that is to say that you have a story. You have a story of where God has brought you up to this point. You have, uh, this church has a story. And last week I shared a little bit about where God has brought us as a church. And, and, and ultimately where we landed was, you could do two things with this truth, that the Bible is a story, this church has a story, your life has a story. Uh, you could do two things. You can either passively observe the story, the story that God is telling in the world, and, and just kind of look at it as an observer, or you can enter the story, and you can choose to place your faith in Christ and begin to work as um, an ambassador for the kingdom of God and the, the kingdom that, that God is building that we talked about bluegrass style this morning. That was just a sermon with bluegrass music. You knew that, right? Oh, come on, somebody. Did you enjoy that song or what? All right, you guys are. We need to, do I need to make you get up and do jumping jacks? Somebody's like, no, Lord help us. Okay, uh, and, and the same thing is true for this church. You can, you can sit back and passively watch the story that God is telling through this community. Or you can get involved. And, and what I want to do today, essentially, is I want to help you enter the story. As we talk about the church, I want to begin to put some, some flesh around this idea of how do we enter the story of the church and the, the story that God is telling through the church. Um, but, but this thing called the church can actually be pretty confusing um, because there are lots of, of branches and expressions of the church, would you agree? You have the Catholic Church, and then you have the Protestant Church, and under the Protestant Church, you have all kinds of denominations and expressions, and, and all of these things. You have you have uh, Nazarenes, you have Baptists, you have Methodists, you have Lutherans, you have Presbyterians, you have, and the list goes on and on. You have: Is this a Wesleyan church? Is this a Calvinist church? Is this an Arminian church? And, and some of you, when I'm talking about this, you have no idea what I'm talking about. May I say this to you? Lord bless you. <laughs> Lord bless you. You are better for it. <laughs> if you don't have any idea what any of that means, you are better for it. Uh, no, denominations, uh, you know, I'm not one of these guys that thinks denominations should go away. I think denominations are important, but, but it can be confusing when we look at all the churches uh, and all the ways that the local church is expressed. And, and what I want to do today is I, I don't want to walk through all the different tribes of the Protestant church or the Christian church and 
and uh, talk to you about what each one of those means or how they're different or how they're the same. Uh, I want to talk to you about the capital C church today. I want to talk about uh, all of them put together and what God is, is doing in the world. And, and, and what I want to talk to you first is, is uh, I want to tell you about what this thing is, the church. Uh, I want to talk about how we enter the church. And then once we sort of find ourselves in the church, what are we then uh, to do? That's, that's where I want to go this morning. And if you have your Bibles um, with you, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And again, I want to remind you that those of you that uh, have brought your smartphone or your tablet today, if you have the Bible app downloaded on there, uh, you can open that app. And then if you go to the live version or the live section of that, you'll find uh, the sermon notes right there. But uh, we're going to be in, in several scriptures, uh, so we don't have them on the screen. Uh, but just listen and follow along with me. Uh, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 16. I want to read verses 13 through 18. Verses 13 through 18. It says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Coincidentally, this is a question that all of us must deal with. In our lives, whether you're religious, whether you uh, don't consider yourself religious at all, you must deal with the question, who do you say Jesus is? It is a question that you cannot ignore in your life. You must deal with this question. Who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Well, Jesus, uh, in, the, in the Greek, there is a very particular kind of word that is used here uh, that Jesus uses. And when he says, on this rock, I will build my church, the word for church in the Greek is, is the word ekklesia. And ecclesia is a word that means the called out ones. And so when we come to this, it's like on this rock, I will build my community of the people that have been called out. And so we first have to ask, well, what is this rock? And we could spend a lot of time here and entire sermons and entire books have been written on this subject. But, but very quickly, I just want to tell you that there's two possibilities of what is the rock upon which Jesus will build this community of people that are called out. And the first possibility is that, that he will build it on Peter himself, that through the ministry of Peter and, and the other disciples, that Jesus will build this church. But the other possibility that the rock upon which Jesus is going to build his community is upon the, the confession that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I'm, I'm far more influenced or, or persuaded to believe that the rock upon which Jesus is going to build his church is this confession that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And so we have Jesus saying, upon this confession that you have made, Peter, I will build a community of people that I am calling out for a particular purpose. Well, we've, uh, in, in Christian history, we've used this a lot as a metaphor, this idea of being called out, this ecclesia, that, that we are the ecclesia, the ones who have been called out. Uh, there's lots of times where we use this as a metaphor, that we've been 
called out of darkness and we've been called into the light. And, and scripture makes that, that clear that when we place our faith in Christ, uh, where we once were living in the, in the darkness of, of habitual sin and where, where sin gripped our hearts, when we place our faith in Christ, the scripture says we're, we're made a new creation and so we're called out of that darkness and we're brought into a brand new light. And some people have also said that we're called out of a, a lifestyle of, of sin and we're called into a lifestyle of righteousness and and these are, are absolutely true and, and very helpful to understand our identity as the people of God, the ecclesia, the ones who are called out of darkness and into light, the ones who are called out of a lifestyle of sin and into a lifestyle of righteousness. But what I want to hone in on uh, is, is that there is some evidence that this is also a political term. Uh, there's, lots of, there's some historical evidence that indicates the ecclesia was not a term that was unique to Jesus and his movement, but it was actually a common political term, just as, as, as was the, the terminology of kingdom or king or Lord. In fact, you'll find that, that often what Jesus does, if you understand the context in which Jesus lived, Jesus often takes common political terms and then re-centers them around himself. And so he talks about building a kingdom upon which he is the king. He talks about being the Lord of Lords. Well, it turns out that one of Caesar's favorite titles was the Lord of Lords. And so when Jesus enters into this context and he begins using very heavily political terms, but centers them around himself, this is why the ministry of Jesus caused uh, such hatred toward himself is because he was making very sharp political terms and political statements about who he is. And uh, there's some evidence that this word ecclesia is exactly that. Well, ecclesia then meant this. It meant a gathering of civilians serving in the cabinet of the king. That was the ecclesia in the ancient world. And so any king could build for himself ones that he calls out and builds the ecclesia that would then serve in the cabinet of the king, but they were just regular civilians. And so how do we then recenter this term on Christ and what he's doing in the church? And it is, some thoughts are this, that God through the ministry of Christ is building a kingdom and he needs workers. That the, the ministry of Christ is not so much meant to uh, ensure for us a a great post-mortem experience, although that is definitely part of it and that's central to the message. But also central to the message is that God is doing a particular thing right here and right now. He's building a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He teaches his disciples to pray. And what he wants to do is he wants to call out people that are just civilians. They're just normal people. They're nobodies. They're on the B team. And he wants to build that community as his workers to go and do his ministry and to go and proclaim the rule and the reign of Jesus in the same way that any political leader in the time would, would build their own ecclesia to go send civilians out into their communities to proclaim the rule and reign of Caesar or to proclaim the rule and reign of, of any political leader at the time. Jesus does that exact same thing, but he refashions it among himself. And he says, but my kingdom is far different than any kingdom that is being built in this world right now. In fact, my kingdom 
he tells Pilate as he walks to his death, doesn't even originate in this world, but it originates in this other realm of reality called heaven. And we're asking that the rule of heaven and that the kingdom of heaven will be brought down to earth. That's a beautiful kind of message. And so when we talk about our identity as the church, we need to talk about that we are the ones that God is calling out in order to go and proclaim the rule and the reign of Jesus. This is what the church is to be about. Amen? So, but there's this other thing that I love about this, that this ecclesia that, that uh, is, is built out of civilians. In other words, it's a group of ordinary folks. It's this whosoever will come is welcome. And you know, that gives us a beautiful picture of the church. That the church is made up of nothing but a bunch of ordinary folks. And I don't mean to insult you. But how many of us, and I'm among this group, if, if God were only building a community out of the most extraordinary people, I don't think that I would be included. You see, this fact that, that Jesus is building this ecclesia out of ordinary folks to go and do his work and to proclaim his rule is some of the best news that we could ever come across. There are no tryouts in the kingdom of God. We're all welcome at his table as we place our faith in him. That's a beautiful truth for us this morning. And so when we talk about our identity, we have to begin to realize that God, through his ministry, through the ministry of Christ, is building a kingdom and he needs workers. And he has called the church to serve as those who work in the service of the king and his kingdom. This, again, is perfectly in line with the, the explicit mission statement that, that every church ought to take on. They can make it unique. They can make it distinct. They can do all these things. But at the foundation, the mission of the church is found in Matthew chapter 28 as Jesus sends his disciples out and he says to go therefore and make more disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and so this is what the church is to be about. And, and whatever that means that whatever the, the layout of the building, whatever the philosophy of ministry of the leaders, whatever denomination that they be a part of, whatever the style of music, this is what the church is to be about, is the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ordinary folks to go and proclaim the rule and reign of the king. That's what we're to be about. And, and in the, the genius of God and in the beauty of the kingdom, there are a thousand different expressions of that. And sometimes it's really easy to begin to think that if, if another church isn't expressing this mission in the same way that we are going about this mission, then they have got it all wrong and we have got it all right. And what a grievous error that is in our thinking when we proclaim that we have it figured out and they don't or that we're going about it the right way and they aren't. You see, the beauty 
is that because he's building this kingdom out of any, whosoever will come in faith, then the ministry of the kingdom is going to be expressed in a thousand different ways. And that, my friends, is quite quite beautiful. And one thing that we ought to not be angry about, but one thing that we ought to celebrate. The beauty is that there are local churches all over the world and all over the city that have different philosophies of how to do ministry, have different styles of music, different volumes of music. And we shouldn't think that there's one right way to do ministry, but we should celebrate the diversity within the family that God is building. A lot of times we use this, this metaphor of family as a, as a way of talking about this ecclesia, this community that God is building of ones who are called out is, is really a family. And, and I want to read to you a blog entry of one of our own uh, that, that uh, wrote this. This was published last night on the internet, and I read it, and I said, I have to read this to our community. And it says this. It says, last week I had the opportunity to worship with a body of Christ in five different communities. There was a youth camp outside of Colorado Springs, the hipster church in, in Denver, the student community gathering at the YMCA in Winter Park, the small and focused ministry of a sprawling megachurch in Highlands Ranch, and of course, my home church in Fort Collins. And in the past, I have attended such varied worship gatherings, but always with a critical eye. Were the people genuine? Was the music done well? Was the stage design attractive? And did the speaker give me something to think about while I drove home? Such questions have their place, of course. But when you attend a family gathering... You shouldn't be there to criticize your less fashionable aunt or wonder why the sweet tea isn't brewed perfectly to your liking. You should rejoice to simply be together again. Isn't that good? You see, there is a diversity within the unity of this ecclesia that God is building. And we should celebrate that diversity because our mission is all the same. But it's so easy to make church about a lot of other things, isn't it? It's so easy to make church about our own personal preferences. It's so easy to make church about what we think ought to be done. It's so easy to place, place the bullseye on the head of the leadership when they're not doing things precisely as they think that we should. And we, in doing that, we make church about a lot of different things and probably many of you have either experienced firsthand or heard stories of a church in the throes of conflict over something that has nothing to do with the mission of reaching and making disciples and we ought to remember why we're here yes we're here to enjoy fellowship with one another. Yes, we're here to hear great music and sing together and to hear a word and be encouraged and everything. But when we walk out that door, the reason that we gather is so that we can leave as the community dispersed into the larger community to proclaim the reign and rule of the Son, Jesus Christ, and his kingdom that is coming. Are you with me? This is what we are to be about. And the thing that I love about this passage, too, is that as Jesus says this on, this on this rock, this confession, I will build this community, this ecclesia, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. 
We tend to get pretty nervous about the political climate of our country, don't we? But the scripture says that Jesus has promised to protect his church. The church isn't going away. Regardless of the political climate of our country or the the culture around us, it doesn't matter the political climate. It doesn't matter the cultural climate. It doesn't matter what's coming out of Hollywood. It's the church will be protected by Christ. He's promised that. And so our role is faithfulness. Our role is faithfulness. You want to know what to do about all the stuff coming out of Hollywood? You want to know what to do with all the lies that are being told about culture? You want to know about what to do with the political climate of our country? Be faithful. That's what you do. Just be faithful. Because God has promised to protect his church. Well, that was sermon number one. I have two more to get through. This is fun. You get three sermons in one day. And good for you, they're short sermons. So they all seem like the time frame of one sermon. All right. So, so how does one then enter this church? That we, we, We've come to understand what is this ecclesia? What is this community that God is building? Well, well, how does one enter this? Well, I want to read to you a passage in Ephesians that I think will help us begin to understand how one enters the church. It's in Ephesians. And uh, I want to read to you chapter 2. Uh, verses 11 through 13, and then I want to jump down to 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, 11 through, 9, or through 13, and then 19 through 22. It says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, that is, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You were without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Skip down to verse 19. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. For in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, the issue in the church in Ephesus, that is the letter that Paul is writing to the Ephesians, the issue at the church in Ephesus was that there was a lot of racism going on, even within the church, even within uh, their own ecclesia, the local ecclesia in Ephesus. And it was racism going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. And what was happening was this. The Jews were uncomfortable. The Jews who had converted to Christianity, accepted Christ as the Messiah, they were uncomfortable with the Gentiles entering into their fellowship without having to align themselves with Jewish laws and customs. Because you'll remember that the Jewish people come out of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, we learn in the Old Testament, is God saying, these are my people. This is my nation. 
nation. I'm going to promise to protect them. I'm entering into covenant with them. And so you imagine growing up as a young Jewish boy, and what you're hearing is that you are in God's tribe. You are his people. Everyone else is out, and you are in. That's the, how it is. And so you can imagine growing up and hearing that. And then all of a sudden, this, this Jesus appears on the scene. He, he dies for, for the sin of the world. His, his blood covers all the sin of the world. And then now people are brought, being brought into the community of God through faith in Christ. This is scandalous to the person that grew up as believing that everyone else was out and I was in. And so the racism was going on saying, okay, if you're a Gentile and you accept Christ, that's awesome, good. But in order to be fully in the club, you need to begin to behave according to our laws and our customs. And Paul writes a letter. Because he saw that the Jewish believers in Ephesus were trying to get the Gentiles to behave before they would ever belong. And he writes to them and he says these words. And he says, now through the blood of Christ, everyone is brought in. And where you once were without hope and you were outside of covenant, you were without God. Now because of Christ, if you'll place your faith in him, you are brought in and you are no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers. You are no longer aliens. And so what Paul is essentially saying is that God is building a new community, a new ecclesia centered around faith in Christ and his work on the cross and the resurrection. Are you with me? And this was absolutely scandalous to the Jewish believers in Ephesus. Because I, I, I thought they were out. How could they be in? And so they begin to say, no, no, no. If you're going to be in, you've got to follow our rules. You've got you to behave before you can belong. And listen. This is still an issue today. Not between Jews and Gentiles. But this is an issue today in that how many times... Does the church make the mistake of saying, before you can ever belong here, you have to learn how to behave? Here are the rules of the church. Here are the rules of our denomination. If you're going to be a part, you've got you to get your stuff together. You've got to learn to behave. And then after you learn to behave, you can belong. And the truth of the gospel is that those are reversed. The truth of the gospel, Paul says, is that through, through faith in Christ, you enter in. You already belong. You already belong. And then it's through the work of the Spirit in your life. Then it's through the instruction of the community. Then it's through opening yourself up to the Word of God that you begin to align yourself in order that you might behave, in order that you might walk in, law, in line with the laws of God and the will of God and the intention of God and what He would want in your life. You belong First, Paul says, and then through the work of the Spirit and what God does in your life, you get to behave. But I wonder how many times in the church we have reversed this. And we, and we have said to people explicitly, you have to learn to behave before you can ever be a part of this place. And whether we don't say it explicitly, is it there implicitly? 
In fact, I would, I would encourage you and I would challenge you to look at, uh, to look at this in your own personal life. Are, are you expecting people to get their stuff together before you'll really welcome them in? Or when anybody walks through that door, will you let them belong and allow God to work in their life? You see, that's so important and it's so easy to reverse. But God is building this ecclesia for a particular kind of mission. But central to that mission is that we have to become a people and we have to reach people. And so many times we focus only on becoming a people. All right, once you kind of like chisel your way into the community, then we kind of work together on, on becoming a people. But the truth is, is that the front door ought to be wide open and the back door is the one that they should have to chisel through. And so, you enter in through faith in Christ and then through the Spirit, He begins to work in your life. You see, What I'm scared of, and, and, and I'm not talking about this particular local church as much as I'm just talking about the church that is declining in America. Uh, I think that so many times we, uh, we, we make it difficult for people to enter in. We, we tell people that you have to get everything together. And it serves as a barrier to growth in the church. And I just think that we, it is time for us to realize the truth that there was a time when every single one of us didn't know how to behave. I mean, that's the beauty of the gospel is that you once were out. But through the blood of Christ, the doors swung wide open. And he said, now all you must do to enter in is place your faith in Christ. All you must do is believe on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then you're immediately part of the community. And I believe that as a church, as God is calling us to not only become a people but reach people, we ought to take that even further and allow people to belong as the Lord is working on their lives and in their hearts to bring them to a point of faith. And so, it's, it's absolutely central to what we do. And I said, that, um, I said that the gospel is a story, and this church is a story, and we have to allow people uh, to, and I've invited you to be a part of the story, but I'm, I'm, I'm so afraid that, that too often we make it difficult for people to be a part of the story. We make it difficult for people to be able to enter the story of what God is doing in this place. And so I would encourage you um, to think upon this personally. What is God doing in your life? How is he challenging your heart? Are you welcoming anyone that would find their way into our community? Well, that was sermon number two. On to number three, and I've got plenty of time. (laughs) The question then becomes... Well, what is the, what am I, once you've entered in through faith, how do you really enter the story? 
And the church is often referred to, it's referred to in scripture, it's referred to in, in Christian community, it's referred to as the body of Christ. Does that sound weird to anybody else? The body of Christ. I mean, we become so used to it and kind of numb to it that it doesn't seem weird to us. But, but I can assure you it seems weird to, to people. The body of Christ. And, and church is kind of weird, if we're just honest, right? I mean, church is kind of weird. We gather together once a week and we sing together. When was the last time outside of church that you just, and, and outside of church and choir that you just got together with a group of people and you just sang? When was the last time you did that? That's for karaoke. <laughs> Someone was like bar night on last Friday. Okay. <laughs> but it's rather unique outside of karaoke. And it's more unique. What makes it more unique is we gather together, we sing together, and then we listen to a guy, one guy with a microphone, and we listen to him talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> or an hour, depending on the guy with the microphone. Um, and and, then, we, and then, we, then we take this bread and we dip it in this cup, and, and then we like do all this, and we light candles. I mean, this is a weird thing that we're doing. And so what, what is God's intention for this place, for this church? We, we've learned kind of what the church is, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We've learned like how one enters and, and, and that God is, is building this community and centering this community around Christ. Well, then what is God's intention for this body of Christ? Well, we're referred to as the body of Christ in Scripture because we are together to be the representation of Christ in the world that we are his, his body. And, and I, don't, uh, I don't know all of you really well, but, but I would imagine that you probably can't do such a great job of representing Jesus to the world on your own. I know I can't. But together, with your strengths, and your strengths, and what you're good at, and your grace and compassion, and, and, and your knack for the financial life and your knack for strategy and structure and your love for kids and your love for teens and, and your ability to teach and all of these things when combined together, all of a sudden, what we couldn't do alone, we can do together. What I'm trying to communicate to you is that God has set up a particular way for the church to function. That God has a particular plan of action on what to do with this community. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to read to you um, a little bit lengthy passage of Scripture, 12 through 28. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 28. And uh, this is a metaphor uh, that Paul uses to talk to the church in Corinth as he's encouraging them to function as, as God intends the church to function. And he says this, and he uses the metaphor of the body. He says, The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. When you are baptized, you're not baptized into the church of the Nazarene. You're not baptized into the Methodist church. You're not baptized into the Presbyterian church. You are baptized into the church, the capital C church. 
And so sometimes I get questions. You know, I was baptized, uh, you know, um, several years ago. I was attending a Methodist church. Do I need to be baptized in the, in the Methodist church or in the Nazarene church? Absolutely not. Because you've already been baptized into the church. So we've been baptized into, by one spirit, into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. And now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would, have, uh, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But if, but, but if in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, And if they were all one part, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, but one body. For the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. But on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. And if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. And then he gets straight to the point. He says to the Corinthians, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, and also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those, uh, and those with speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? but eagerly desire the greater gifts. You see, what Paul does is he gives us the way that the church should function. The church is made up of many parts, but together we're all one body, and each part should do its part. But somewhere along the way, the church began to believe that it was the responsibility of the pastor and staff to do everything while the people of the church sit back passively. And so we have a whole generation of pastors that are probably now retired or at retirement age that for the duration of their ministry have worked 70 plus hours, never received more than two weeks vacation, never have gone on a sabbatical, and we hold that up as a trophy where it ought to be held up as a tragedy. Because somewhere along the line, we, became, we, we came to believe that we go to church not to be part of the body and to enter the story, but we go to church to hear the charismatic speaker who is responsible to do everything in the church. And we have come to believe that not only is the pastor responsible to do everything, but the pastor is responsible for everything. And uh, 
I don't know if you know anything about the stigma of a pastor's kid, which I am not one, but I have one. The stigma of the pastor's kid was that they would rebel. And everybody just knew that the, the child of the preacher was, was going to be a wild child. And yet that was in the same era that we had pastors working all those hours, trying to do all the ministry of the church, himself or herself, trying to keep all the cogs on the wheel spinning by themselves. And the pastor's kid who thinks, I don't care how big your church is, I just want to know where you are. And all they knew was that the church stole their dad. And so why would I want any part of that? And so when it comes to my PKs, they're going to know that their dad is there. And they're going to know that the church did not steal their dad. But somewhere along the line, we, we lost sight of the sense of the body, of many parts working together toward a common goal. And we expected the pastor to do all the hospital visits, to preach multiple services, to teach multiple times during the week, to do all the follow-up, the home visits, to send cards, whether it's uh, cards of uh, sympathy or anniversary or birthday, to do all the administrative, of, administrative work of the, of the church, the pastor, the pastor, the staff, the staff, the leadership, the leadership. But I want to tell you, church, this is not the biblical model. This is not God's design for his ecclesia. He, he, the, God's design for the ecclesia is, yes, to have the office of the pastor. It is so important to have that office, to provide teaching, to provide spiritual direction, to provide direction for the church, to hear from God and lead. That's absolutely critical. But let me tell you, the church is not set up by God to have one person or a group of people do all the ministry. In fact, I would say this, when God called me to be a pastor, he called me not to do all the ministry, but he called me to empower all of you for ministry. That the biblical model is set up that the people would do the ministry. That all the parts of the body work together to accomplish the work of his kingdom, of which I am simply one part. And you'll, you'll notice that in the scripture it said those parts that, that are sort of invisible and they seem really insignificant, God raises them up and gives them greater honor. And those parts that are like really presentable and everyone sees, they deserve no special treatment. And it's because so that those who, seem the, who, who see themselves as being really important will be brought low and humbled. And those who are humbled will be exalted so that together we're all on equal ground as part of the ecclesia that God is building so that we can all together say, this is the one direction we're going and we're going to go there together. Every part doing its part. That is the, that is the model that God has set up. And so sometimes we say that, you know, the church should... Or sometimes we say the church ought to. 
and we have all these grandiose ideas of the ministry that ought to be happening or should be happening through the church. The church should be doing this. The church ought to be doing this. Well, let me tell you something. Let me break the news to you. You are the church. <laughs> so when you say the church ought to, that is code for I ought to. <laughs> And if you come to me and you sit in my office and you have a ministry idea, you have just volunteered to lead that ministry. <laughs> there, I said it. I warned you up front. Hey, you know what? The church should. That sounds like you have a real passion for that. Go ahead, and I would love to bless you <laughs> while you do that ministry. And I would love to empower you to go and do that. Let me tell you how this played out in my own life. Uh, I was recently at a conference, and the conference was all about discipleship and uh, one of the one of the big things of the of the conference was the church needs to make disciples, and, and part of that was we tend to focus maybe too much on bringing people in, but then they get in and we don't do anything with them, and we need to become a people. That was really the uh, the emphasis of of the conference. And you know, I thought, you know what? That's right. The church should make disciples. The church should be doing that. And and the Lord said to me. Are you discipling anyone? Well, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, of course I'm discipling someone. I'm discipling 100 people on Sunday mornings from the pulpit. That doesn't count. <laughs> this is the, that's what the Lord said. That doesn't count. And, and I realized that if the church is to make disciples, I need to make disciples. And so some of you have these, these grand ideas, the church ought to, the church should. Well, I want you to personalize this sort of like really abstract thing out there, the church, and realize two things. The church, the capital C church, is always expressed in local communities. And that, if you're a part of that community, you are the church. And so I want you to personalize whatever you think that the church should be doing. Perhaps that is the very seed of ministry that God is doing in your heart, and he wants to cultivate that, and he wants you to personalize that, and he wants you to begin to say, maybe that's what I have for you. And we would love to bless you while you do it. So let me, let me say this, and this is a, this is a grotesque uh, metaphors, but I just uh, work with me. There, I warned you. <clears throat> if you. If you don't belong to a body and you're a believer, you are just an appendage and you do nobody any good. And if you are just an appendage, you need to find a body and attach yourself to it. <laughs> I warned you, grotesque. But I wonder that one, if one of the barriers, for those of you that are appendages, and you don't really have a body that you're attached to and that you're committed to and that you're involved in, and you're, but you're a believer, I would imagine that, that one of your primary barriers is that you are looking for a church that has this and this and this and this. The music is perfect. It's just my style. It's not too loud. Just the right thing. It starts at a great time. It's not too early. It's not too late. You know, it fits in my schedule. The preacher is this, 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 this. Andy's good looking bonus and all of these things, right? And you're looking for the perfect church. I have a word for you today that you need to hear, appendages. There is no perfect church. 
It doesn't exist. And so if you're like floating around and you visit this church for six weeks and then you got to kind of go to this church and, and you're like, oh, this is great. And you get involved and you're there for three months and then something happens. Somebody says something and you realize it's not perfect. And you're like, oh, this isn't perfect like I thought it was. And so you go to the next one and you're in this string of churches. Listen to me. You're not doing the body of Christ any good. You're just floating out there. And God has a particular kind of part that he wants you to play but you're not attaching yourself to a body so that you can offer your role inside that. You're not entering a story. So, so uh, there are appendages. But if you belong to a body, but you're not fulfilling a, fun- a function, you're an appendix. <laughs> I, I worked really hard on this. You're there, but nobody knows it. And it's like, I won't say that. I won't say that. (laughs) Nope, nope, I'm not going there. (laughs) Listen, if you are, if you're an appendix, you need to start playing your part. You need to start fulfilling a function. You need to get plugged in. And, and just as there's a barrier when you're an appendage because you're looking for the perfect church that doesn't exist, I think there's two barriers for church appendicitis. And that is this. You have believed the lie that the church doesn't need me. Like, you, you kind of look at the landscape of the church, and you seem to say, well, I mean, it looks like they got things, you know, going pretty well on the worship team, and seems like things run pretty well on Sunday mornings, and when they have e-kids, so they must have plenty of volunteers, and the worship team doesn't need musicians, and there's plenty of people serving on the hosting team. In fact, I, I, I pass too many greeters on Sunday morning. It's just annoying how many greeters there are. And uh, let me just tell you that all of these things are a lie. The church needs you. This church needs you. In fact, can I be really personal with you? There has been a time recently where I was like, you know what, man, if if, if we had like this kind of person or or if we had this kind of person or if we had had this kind of family or if we had, you know, this, 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 then, then we could really become the kind of church that God is calling us to be. I feel like God has kind of given me this vision and he's pointing us in a direction. And it's so easy for me to say, you know, if we had this, 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 and this, we could get there. And you know what the Lord said to me? He said, everybody that you need to go where I'm calling you is already there. Everybody that you need, every part that you need to become the body I've called you to be is already there. And when God calls new people, there's more direction that he can bring us because they bring a part. 
There's more vision that can be fulfilled. There's more mission that can be accomplished. And so that when God brings new people, we have all these kinds of things, this new direction that we can go because everybody has a part that they can play. And so the first lie is that the church doesn't need me. And I would say to you, yes, the church needs you. This church needs you. We need you to plug in and to get involved so that we can go where God has called us to go. So that we can be the church that God has called us to be. But the second barrier, I think, is, well, I don't know my part. I mean, I'm an, I'm an appendix, but not by choice. I, I, I just, I, I don't know my spiritual gifts. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, I just, I need, I don't know my part. Well, we are, one of the reasons that we started the growth track is, to, is that we realized that we weren't helping to train people and to teach people their part. And so I'd meet with people that want to get involved, and they'd say, man, I want to get involved. How, how do I get involved? And I'm like, here's a list of 150 volunteer opportunities. And they'd go, no, thank you. I mean, it was just too overwhelming. Well, I don't know. I, I've never worked with kids, and I've never done that. And I, I've never, you know, this is my first church that I've ever really been a part of, that I've ever attached myself to. And, and so I don't really know what, I, what I've done or what I could do. And so we started the growth track. Uh, part of the reason we started the growth track is so that we could have an avenue to teach people. The 301 class, here's your personality type. Here's a list of, of gifts. Take a, a spiritual gifts test that will help give you direction. It's not a fail-safe. It's not perfect. But it, it points you in a direction to begin exploring in the church. And so listen to me. If you're here and, and you don't know your part, please for the benefit of the kingdom of God and the benefit of the ecclesia, take the 301 class and move in a direction to begin to get involved because that class will help you to at least have a direction. And so God is building this community with a particular mission in the church to go and make disciples. Central around that community is that you belong before you ever behave. That it's, it, we enter in through faith in Christ. And then, once you enter in, God has a particular part for you to play. He wants you to get involved. And with those three things, I think we have a little better idea of what this thing called the church really is. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.